Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency for the New Spectator USA website. I'm joined today by Thomas Frank, who is a great American writer of the left. He's the author of many books, most famously What's the Matter with Kansas, and most recently Rendezvous with Oblivion. And we're going to be asking, are the Democrats really becoming that radical? Well, it's not just them. You saw in um, the State of the Union speech the other night. By the way, hey, Freddie, how are you doing? Very well. <laughs> Very well, indeed. If you if you if you watch the State of the Union, uh, Trump himself went out of his way to uh, take a swipe at uh, what he called socialism. And the cameras as he was doing this and by the way, and was greeted with a mighty cheer from the Republican part of the uh, the House. As he was doing it, the cameras all focused on on Bernie Sanders, you know, looking really um, glum. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, I'm sorry. He looked what's what's the word nonplussed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and yeah, I guess uh, the idea is supposed to be that we are heading into this period of extreme radicalism. Well, it's hard to take because they've cried wolf so many times. You know, you go back and look at your you know, sort of right-wing culture going back to the 1980s. I remember uh, Rush Limbaugh, I think it was Rush Limbaugh, it could have been somebody else, but talking about the Frankfurt School, you know, and how all the all the liberals, he called them cultural Marxists. Now, I could be thinking of somebody else. I shouldn't single out poor Rush, you know. <laughs> but this is this is a, a common sort of theme on the on the right wing, this idea of cultural Marxists. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that there is this, this incredible radicalism uh, going on in American life. But, it, it, you know, it's just not so, Freddie. I mean, you look at, say, OK, let's look at Bernie Sanders, this guy that everybody thinks is so incredibly radical. If you ask me, and I've written about this before, I think Bernie Sanders is kind of a reassuring figure, not yeah. a, danger, a dangerous radical. I think of him in exactly the opposite way. He represents to me the uh, liberalism of our grandparents. You know, he is a figure straight out of the Truman administration is, is the way I look at him. You know, his health care, his health care plan is right out of the Truman years. His, uh, you know, the, the, his, his attitude about colleges, it sounds like the GI Bill all over again. You know? And by the way, Freddie, that's one of the reasons I really like him. Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of Americans really like him is that what he is proposing is not scary and not dangerous. And I'll, I'll give you another example. Antitrust. This is the new hot subject, or one of the new hot subjects on the on the you know American left, and you know to talk about how monopoly is uh, choking off small business, choking off the working people, their salaries, their wages, making sure that they can't you know that they don't that they don't share in the sort of uh, economic prosperity that's all around us. The problem leftists are saying the problem is monopoly. Freddie, this is as old as the country. This goes yeah. back to Thomas Jefferson. This is a, there is no you know political issue that is more no no strain in political life that is more all American than being against monopoly. It is not radical. <laughs> it's a you know it, it, I don't see how anybody could think it was radical. It's like this is this is who we are. I suppose what's interesting is it, with the with the allegation of cultural Marxism. That, if it's true, seems to be coming from the middle, doesn't it? I mean, the sort of, you know, the things that right wingers get so upset about, like, um, you know, transgendered bathrooms and things, that's not coming from Bernie. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, we, look, we live in a funny world where we, uh, these issues like the, 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 the things that I just mentioned, like healthcare and uh, 
price of education and uh, monopoly, where those things are, you know, uh, not all that controversial. And instead, we fight literally every day I open the newspaper and it's something else, you know, on the culture front. Yes. And I admit that is a really interesting uh, subject. And it's scary to a lot of people. And it's scary in all sorts of different ways. I don't know if I would call it radicalism, though. I think there is something else going on there. And I, I would, I'm not in a, look, this is something I want to write about. And, yeah. uh, uh, but I haven't done it yet. And so I can't say I have an answer for it or a pat explanation or a uh, uh, but radicalism is not the word I would apply to it. it it's something else. But I don't know what. What well, do you think? I'm turning it around. On, I'm turning it around on you, Mr. Turn around the, you yeah, don't don't do that. You'll discover huge chasms of not even ignorance, just non, non-thinking, unthinkingness. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I think that the interesting thing for me at the moment, because, it, you know, it's, it's interesting because she's a very buzzy media figure. And uh, she's very attractive and photogenic. Is this Alexandria Ocasio Cortez? Because she does the the culture warrior stuff too. Talks a lot about feminism and um, uh, you know immigration and and things like that. But she's also you know seems to be. Everyone talks about her being quite thick, but actually you know we don't know that really. But she has quite heavy, heavily socialist ideas about taxation. Yeah. I'm wondering if she's kind of. Yeah, so she's. I actually am a big fan of hers. I think she's kind of awesome. But what what would you mean by that? Like socialist ideas about taxation? You mean a well, like a, a high top marginal rate? Yes, seventy percent, isn't it, on the mm. on the on the rich? So this is gonna all this is gonna be shocking to you, Freddie. But that's also very traditional. I mean, that's yeah. what it, that's what it was when our when our parents were in in college. That's you know that's what the tax rate was. But is it American, Tom? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> if our grandparents were doing it and the World War II generation was doing it, hell yes. <laughs> it's American. Now, look, the, the, here's something I do know. I do know something about because I've been writing about. Did I tell you about this, Freddie? I'm working on a book about populism. You may have mentioned it, but please. please yeah, don't and, it and so that when the populists first, the, the, the uppercase P populist, which is a real thing in this country, uh, or was a real thing, it's they're extinct now, but. Uh, they first started uh, coming up in the 1890s. And one of the things they demanded was an income tax. And it was radical at the time. And uh, they succeeded in passing one in Congress with the help of Democrat, what, what, you know, what we would now say Democrats on the left of the Democratic Party, people like William Jennings Bryan at the time. And uh, they passed a national income tax, a federal income tax in 1894. And it was immediately challenged as unconstitutional. And indeed, the Supreme Court struck it down and they struck it down. The, the lawyer who are it's it is a fascinating story. But the lawyer who argued against the income tax said, you've got to strike it down because it was communistic. Uh, and he said and then the, 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 the Supreme Court justice who wrote the majority opinion said it was part of a war by the poor on the rich. And this was this was a, a sort of American paranoia of the 1890s, this idea that the class war was right around the corner, and uh, uh, it was going to, you know, this was how the, the, the poor were going to get their way and, and just confiscate links of the rich. And this is, by the way, at a period where, very similar to today, where the, you know, the distribution of wealth was incredibly lopsided, uh, you know, you know the story, right? Yes, yes. And uh, they eventually did, the, they eventually got their way. They had to pass a constitutional amendment 
uh, when did they do that? 1913. They had to pass a constitutional amendment in order to make the income tax, to make it finally legal in this country. And so in that sense, it, it was extremely controversial. You know, that's my guys from Kansas wanted that. <laughs> that's also very, you know, it's William Jennings Bryan from Nebraska. It's as American as you get. Yes. You know? and the ones who were against it, you know, the corporation attorneys from uh, New York and Boston, you know, that kind of, that was the, the tiny little uh, clique of extremely wealthy people who controlled everything. Anyhow, so that's that's what I've always thought about it. Well, could it? I mean, I suppose the worry on the on the right or from the elites, if you like, would be that actually these this, uh, these ideas about taxation are just ex- they're not they're, they can't just get away with calling them un-American because they're actually extremely popular. And yeah, well, that's the problem. For them. So yeah. much of what we're describing here, the uh, econo- economic liberalism, is really popular. It it, yeah. it just is. Uh, people like uh, the idea of you know, being able to afford the good things in life. You know, they like that. But it's, 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 it's hard. They look at they look at the richest country in the world and they're like, you know, where's where's you know, where's my piece of that? You know, and it's it's it's, it's you say that you're talking, shut you're, up. Sorry, you're, no. You're talking more about uh, economic egalitarianism more than economic liberalism, right? Uh, yeah, so it, saying, it, it is economic egalitarianism. I'm sorry, I use the word liberalism because that's that's what we use in this country. Um you know, as opposed to the way that you use the the terms in England, yeah. you know what I would the term I would actually use for it is is populism, but that term has been rendered so toxic by people like Donald Trump and N- Nigel Farage <laughs> that it's difficult to uh, you know difficult to apply it to what I'm describing. But nevertheless, economic populism is extremely popular. It's just a this is you know this is the story of my journalistic career, Freddie, is why can't we have things that are really popular, you know, in America? Why don't we have those things anymore? What happened to them? I mean, it's a great story. Well, I mean, I mean, Donald Trump appeared to be offering economic populism. I I expect you'd think it was a sort of sham. You mean the other day or in 2016? In 2016. And he also he also hinted at it in his State of the Union. He he constantly uh, hints at it. You know, he's talking about how they're going to do something about prescription drug prices. Well, guess what? That's really popular. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, you know, the public would welcome that. They would like that. He also talked about getting people's wages up. Yeah, people would like that. Yeah. But yeah. He, he doesn't know what he's talking about, Freddie. So if you go back and look at the 2016 campaign, yeah, he he did talk a lot of economic populism, and and as you might expect, it was extremely popular. Uh, he talked about how um, different trade agreements have harmed working class people, which is very true. You know, labor unions in America have talked about this forever. Uh, you know, he talked about the high price of drugs. He talked about the military industrial complex, all the wars. That stuff was popular. He's he has he's utterly incompetent. You understand. He doesn't he doesn't know what to do about these things, and it's not clear that he would do it even if he did know what to do what to do about these things. Well, the the main thing he has secured as president is a gigantic tax cut for rich people. So yes. he's, he's gone entirely the other direction, and then a trade war with China, which is not what not what everybody was. You know, that's not what we were talking about. But you could say the only reason he secured that tax cut was because of there was a Republican majority. Yeah. yeah. He no, 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 you're total. That's totally, 
totally true. And by the way, this is an old story with um, with the Republicans is that they talk a better populist game than the Democrats, and they have for a long time. Uh, and the Democrats are, you know, the, the Democrats are the inheritors of the populist tradition. I mean, mm -hmm. technically speaking, right? But you know, that's who labor endorses as farmers, et cetera, et cetera. Franklin Roosevelt. But if you look at the Democratic Party today, it's not that anymore. They always go for these kind of passionless technocrats. Somebody once called Jimmy Carter. What did they? I think it was a passionless technocrat. And it's it, it's exactly the personality type that they adore. Michael Dukakis, right? <laughs> John Kerry, Hillary Clinton, even Obama himself, who was such a wonderful orator, was you know so bound by his kind of technocratic way of looking at the world, his meritocratic way of looking at the world. And I think it kept him from doing the great things that he that he should have done. But but Republicans are not uh, are, are not bound by any of that stuff. And you yes. have, you know, amazing populists like Ronald Reagan. Right. Or or even George Bush Jr., who is as, uh, you know, comes from as aristocratic a family as it's possible in this country. Yes. And uh, comes off as remember as as something of a populist, or of course Trump himself, and then many like Newt Gingrich types in between. Um, I mean, what about so? I mean, there, there's all these Democratic candidates lining up, but I imagine the the kind of money people in the party, the the, the sort of Clinton faction, that are still quite powerful. They're looking for someone that can appear radical, um, or that can appear populist even. Uh, without actually being so. And and I've always suspected that that person was going to be Elizabeth Warren. But what do you make of her? Is she a, is she a genuine radical? Or, or is she on, a so, on, on a lot of issues, yeah, she is, definitely. Um, though she's, I would put her in the real deal camp. I, I admire her. I think she's, I think she's um, uh, really smart, really good on policy. And I would say the same thing about Sherrod Brown. And of course, I'd say the same thing about uh, Bernie Sanders. But then you're right, there are, I mean, everybody, can I tell you a funny anecdote? So, so after the 2016 contest, you know, it's this huge debate among uh, Democrats where, and, and I should say the press, where is the Democratic Party going to go after this debacle? And among the kind of Washington, D.C. set that is the brain trust of the Democratic Party, the idea has always been we got to double down on Hillaryism. Shake your finger at the deplorables. Scold them, scold them, scold them, scold them. Don't give an inch. We don't welcome them back into the party. We we become Hillary's party just as a kind of way to spite the Republicans. And what's funny is that, you know, and there's also this incredible animosity towards Bernie Sanders among the same group of people. What's funny is that the politicians have gone entirely the other way. They look around and they see that Bernie Sanders is, in fact, extremely popular. And his... Uh, the things he was proposing are extremely popular, and they're all, they're all getting on board with, with with the Bernie Sanders issues. Now, I think it's all uh, I think like about eighty percent of that is just smokescreen. You know, it's just people pretending to be on board with those issues because that's that's what sells in the yes. current climate. Uh, but you know, I don't I don't really know yet. I don't know what to think yet. I mean, let's say it's getting started here. Let's say they can find someone, someone like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who can be both, you know, she can do the finger wagging about Trump voting, which is which is popular among a lot of people, or yeah. just maybe not the working working classes who voted for Trump. 
but someone like that could combine that with with a kind of populist economic po- policies. Would wh- which would which would? <laughs> I'm just wondering whether one element would overwhelm the other. I mean, will will well, work. It would America- be pointless to do both because um, the 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 whole idea of economic populism is that you win back the votes of the white working class people who went for Trump, and you also win uh, black working class people who didn't vote. It's yeah. it, it's economic populism. Like I say, it's overwhelmingly popular. It's like you're going to appeal to like 80 percent of the public. It's it's the majoritarian approach. The the other approach where you say, you know, to hell with you people <laughs> you voted for Trump. We're, we're not going to concede anything to you and we're going to build an altogether different coalition uh, that that would there would be no reason to go down the, uh, the the road of economic populism there you you would be looking for something entirely different now there are there are there are you saw like Stacey Abrams the other day giving the democratic response to Trump I saw so that, she, yeah. she's someone that would be able to bridge the two camps uh, and there there are other politicians like her out there that that would have that would ha- probably have no trouble bridging the two camps we shall see yeah so cuz her speech was very much you know about growing up poor yeah. And no, I thought it was. I, I, it was yeah, kind of touching. Yeah. It was good, but I mean, did you? Did you? Let's go. Go slightly off topic and talk about Trump. Did you think Trump's speech was good? No, it was no. dreadful. Uh, so I've seen him speak before. Well, you know, in sixteen, he's qu- he can be quite good when he is extemporizing. Yeah. I, I mean, he's not. You know, we think of him as a risible figure, and you know, he is. But when he is speaking off the cuff, he actually could be quite good. Uh, and he gets this rapport going with his audience and and he's kind of fun to listen to. When he's reading from a script, um, he's he's dreadful. He's he, You notice how careful he was to pronounce everything right? Yes. I mean, I, I, was, think- I was sort of embarrassed for him. It was as though in a lot of those topics, he'd never thought about or, or spoken about them before. You know, it, it was the first time he'd ever when he was reading it off the teleprompters as it was the first time he'd ever seen these words. I have to say, I thought it was quite good. Oh, really? So, Tell yes. me why. Because I thought I, I mean, I agree about the delivery. The delivery is he, he's not a, a natural teleprompter reader. That's for certain. But I thought that he kind of cleverly wove into the or the text cleverly wove, you know, ideas about success and optimism into quite a challenging speech for the Democrats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I thought that... I know, look, that's, you're right about that. And it, it it would be... Yeah. The other problem is that I don't root for him. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's hard for me to hard for me to sympathize when he does something, when he plays the game well like that. Yeah. I, I, you know. Anyhow. I, mean, I just wonder, because, you know, a lot of people were saying after the line about socialism, you know, splits the Democrats very well because, you know, they don't know whether to how you know um nancy pelosi didn't know whether to applaud she eventually sort of applauded reluctantly when he said america will never be a socialist country and then the camera panned to bernie not only bernie but also ocasio cortez and a lot of those women in white the new congresswomen who were not looking very happy at, at that yeah and you can see it coming right down the road the uh, you know that that's going to be uh you know that's obviously going to be a word thrown around a lot in the 2020 uh campaign socialism Yes. Oh boy, here we go. The the funny thing is, I don't know if red baiting um will work. I mean, the 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 whole fear of it was the you know the 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 Soviet Empire. Yeah. And they're gone. 
Well, maybe maybe red baiting will be like race baiting in in 2016, or or sort of racist baiting, if you like, in 2016. Yeah. If you keep saying to people, you know, that's socialism or that's racism, and then and then not ordinary people say, well, no, it's not, or or it makes perfect sense to me, then it can be quite effective politically. Yeah. Well, it's gonna be it's gonna be. It's going to be really interesting. Socialism is not as poisonous a word in this country as communism, of course, yes. you know, obviously. But nevertheless, it's poisonous enough that uh, the Democratic Party has never identified itself as a socialist party in the way that your Labour Party did in England. And even, even the populists, you know, they didn't call themselves uh, socialist. They called themselves, obviously, populist. And, um, and we think we think that's because you know, enshrined in the American Constitution is the idea of individual liberty, and America is just not comfortable with the state in the way that. Um, okay, that that's true, but you, but you, but but they also clearly are in all sorts of ways that that we've been talking about here. You, you know, the uh, taxation, the welfare state to a certain degree. Yes. The I mean, the you know uh, anti-monopoly. So America already is a socialist state, really, isn't it? I mean, if you if you think about it technically. Okay, so that's a really interesting and very provocative remark, and I don't, we're not going to have time to hash that out. But, <laughs> but America is a socialist state for the people on top, and right. it's a, and it is a it is a devil take the hindmost, you know, Darwinian free for all <laughs> for the people at the bottom. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good summary of it, Tom. I think we'll leave it there. But I hope you'll come back again, and we can talk about this more as we start the beginnings of a new election campaign. Yeah, let's do it. That would be fun. Thanks, Tom. You got it, Freddie. Thanks very much.